Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Starseed Kitchen Podcast. I'm your host, Chef Whitney Aronoff, founder of Starseed Kitchen and High Vibration Foods. This is your source for information to empower you to be a positive seed for change in your community. Join me for conversation where we learn about food, wellness, and spiritual concepts for high vibration living. I'll be sharing my knowledge and learning with you from experts providing insight into nourishing all the layers of you, the physical, emotional, spiritual, and etheric bodies, so you can thrive in 5D. Let's get started. I have the great blessing of getting to interview Katherine Rogers today. Katherine Rogers is founder and CEO of Maya Moon Company, the original organic cacao chakra truffles and Maya Moon Collective, a cacao cafe in San Diego, California. Catherine launched the company following a 10-year career in strategic brand management and executive leadership in the wellness and sustainable food sectors. After building a successful farm-to-table catering company from the ground up in San Diego, she decided to pivot the Vivacious Dish LLC brand to launch a packaged food product. Maya Moon was born out of her love for the environment and an allergy to processed sugar. So she set out on a mission to create a decadent treat that supports health and well-being for their customers and the farmers they source from. Catherine is working on the ground with organic and regenerative cacao farmers in South America to create strategic and mutually supportive alliances that are self-sustaining. Together, they are tackling issues related to climate change, deforestation, and community development as they relate to growing, processing, and distributing cacao. Since its launch in 2019, Maya Moon has grown to include a team of 11 chocolatiers and cacao tenders serving up hot and cold drinks of chocolate, pastries, and cacao truffles at their first brick-and-mortar cafe in San Diego, California. They also ship organic cacao truffles and drinking cacao to their customers nationwide. Well, welcome to the podcast, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. Yeah, you are quite the talented chef, cook, pastry chef, entrepreneur. It's really impressive. Thank you. It's definitely been a journey and a labor of love, but been a joy every way of every step across the board. So how did you first get started in the food industry? I mean, my favorite memories, even as a child, were in the kitchen. So really, it was with my mom and grandparents growing up, spending time in their kitchens really sparked my love of food and pastry specifically. My grandfather was worked for a bakery when he first came to the United States or when he was in the United States. And was always just making things. I love being in kitchens. They were my favorite place to be. And that just naturally evolved over time. Um, My background was originally in marketing and advertising, although I did take some culinary classes in high school and was kind of debating if I wanted to go into marketing or culinary school directly and ended up with the marketing path. But that passion kept circulating. And so 
eventually I just went for it. And I was still working in marketing at the time, but launched Vivacious Dish, the catering company here in San Diego and cooked for people for almost four years under that platform, private events, weddings, celebrations, all the good stuff, and really got to celebrate with my clients all of San Diego's natural abundance through partnering with local farms. So that just took it, just took it off from there. So what was your culinary style, would you say, back when you worked with a variety of ingredients? Always letting the most fresh seasonal offerings kind of speak for themselves in a way. My favorite way to cook was to go to the farmer's market and or reach out to one of our farm partners and see what was available and let that inspire the preparation. But people always would give the feedback that they could taste the love in the food. And, and that really started with the farmers, first and foremost, was they were so passionate about tending to the land and working with nature. And a lot of them were working with soil health too. So you're getting this full ecosystem approach. And really for me as a chef, it was all about how to create something that amplified and celebrated the natural nutrients and beauty and flavor profiles, and then just add enough alchemy really to, to make it unique. But the more that it could be nature's bounty on a plate, the better. Did you grow up in the San Diego area? I actually grew up in Northern Nevada. I grew up in Carson city, which is a small town near Lake Tahoe. Mm -hmm. Um, So I grew up in the mountains for four seasons. I was always outside. Uh, Nature was my playground and backyard. So that definitely sparked a love of the natural world that continued to evolve. But I moved to San Diego in 2013 and also at that time was working on the board of Slow Food Urban San Diego, which is a local chapter of the international slow food movement. And so that was the first way of really getting rooted in the food and farm community here. And a point of interest is that in San Diego, there's more small farms per capita than any other county in the country. So we were really enmeshed in so many amazing eating options. And with Mexico so proximate, there's an incredible burgeoning creative farm to table culinary scene that's happening across borders. So there's a lot to play with and a lot to be inspired by here. Yeah, there's an incredible food scene that I feel like has really always been there because, you know, if a lot of people start to study food history, you know that some of the great foods and beverages came out of Tijuana, but then Mm -hmm. you also have this like San Diego's, this this little bread basket as well. You know, you can't drive around, you know, once you get past the the coastal communities, it's just rolling hills and flatlands of small little avocado farms and citrus farms. And it's really incredible. It is. Yeah. And it's cool. It's an arid place, right? You kind of have almost that Mediterranean-esque climate here. So there's olives and Bees do really well. So we have amazing honey and yeah, there's just all sorts of really cool stuff happening. What led you to the slow food group? Um, In truth, just wanting to plug more into the local food system. When I was living, I lived in LA prior to moving to San Diego. That's where I first started my career path in marketing. And I was actually dealing with some chronic health issues of my own. So I really started to get curious about functional foods and food as medicine. I got plugged into the paleo diet and the Weston A. Price Foundation, which focuses all about ancestral eating. So there are many layers of just self-learning. And I started to really see the benefits of that in my own body. And then I started playing with recipes because I was experimenting with all these different foods. And I would bring dishes to parties and people got really excited about those. So that's when I launched a vivacious dish originally just as a food and recipe blog. Um, online. And then when I transitioned to San Diego, I really wanted to take that to another level and was just super curious to see what was 
happening here in the landscape around food and farmers markets. And I was also very interested in the nexus between food and communities of color and food sovereignty and food justice. And so many of these conversations, my, when I was working in marketing in LA, I was working, um, at an HIV clinic for two years and got really into community development efforts and just understanding how health and community played together. So that was always an interest and passion. And it just kind of shifted more focused on the, the local food movement versus public health as a broader lens at that point. Yeah. But in a weird way, they're all connected. A hundred percent. And I mean, That's even well, all over, you have food deserts, you have places where there's just limited access to healthy food choices, even when there are so many farms. So there's so many aspects that are layered and complex and slow food was doing some really cool work around community education and mm -hmm. just unique farm deserts, dinners, the whole perspective. So it got me really excited. And that was kind of how I fell in love with the food shed here. So what ended up drawing you into cacao and what made you go in that direction to put out your first food product? I think in some ways it was like a divination almost. I, as I mentioned, or you mentioned in my bio, I have an allergy to refined sugar. So as I was doing a lot of my catering work, kind of developed a niche around natural desserts. So naturally sweetened using honey or maple syrup and organic ingredients. And a lot of them were gluten-free and vegan as well. So I was already kind of interested in that arena because just recognizing how limited, how limited the options were that really taste amazing and delicious. And that would satisfy that want for something sweet, but that felt really good in the body. Right. So that was kind of an area that vivacious dish was, was good at and catering is exhausting. It is, you know, full on and a kind of a one-to-one -one time to money ratio. So it's a lot when you think about scaling a company like that. So I started to ideate around what making a packaged food product, something that would be more scalable looked like. And originally I was actually considering doing more of a paleo oriented product. So like little mini cheesecake cups a lot, but a lot of the ingredients utilized in those included almonds. And this was also right around the time when almond milk was exploding in the marketplace. And so one of the core values that I always am interested in aligning with is sustainable sourcing. And it just became right around the exact time that I was thinking about this, almonds were almost impossible to source, especially organic almonds. And the almond industry is incredibly water intensive. It's often just full of pesticides. So there are a lot of reasons to not do those products. And I had been introduced to cacao in more of kind of this spiritual or intentional service model um, at actually a festival, lightning in a bottle and its, mm -hmm. its initial stages. There were a couple of guys that came there and did an opening ceremony. They were from Argentina and served this really thick, more on the bitter side cacao. And they, they did it with a sound bath and it was just super intentional. And I felt the potency of that in that experience. And I was like, wow, this is super unique. I, you know, I'd obviously had chocolate where we've all had chocolate, but it was a totally different take on that. And so all those things kind of happened around the same time. And I, I just became interested in cacao more as a meditation tool. I'd been kind of on a, my own kind of spiritual meditation path for almost a decade at that point. And so I started meditating while drinking cacao every day. I did that for five years and got all these downloads and insights and information. And at some point it literally felt like the spirit of the plant was speaking to me as I would meditate with it. And so, you know, as you're thinking about business development while simultaneously meditating and really tuning into 
the wide range of the ways the natural world can speak to us, um, cacao just came to the forefront and that's how that journey began and has evolved from there. So when did meditating and drinking cacao connect? Is this well, a traditional practice? Where, where does it come from doing the two yeah. together? As far as we know, like the original history and stories around cacao's preparation that date back over 5,000 years ago. And it can trace, be traced back um, to Incan, um, Incan traditions, and then also through trade routes, it ended up in more of the Mayan arena as well and where they were living. And yeah, we have, you know, in different imagery and even vessels that they made, um, they were, there was clearly used as a drink and there's stories around how it was prepared. They called it bitter water. So it was prepared more traditionally. They would hand grind it with stone. You see images of some of that in, in their art and things like that. Um, and then they would drink it. And the stories was that they would often drink it all night. It was reserved for kind of like more of the, the tribal leaders or people that were making decisions on behalf of the community. And there were stories that said that they sometimes, if they had an important decision to make, they wouldn't do that until they had had time to sit and listen to the wisdom of the cacao because Cacao is a heart opener um, through actually its functional compound. So there's a specific compound, compound in cacao called theobromine, which is a cardiovascular stimulant. So it, it literally pumps energy through the cardiovascular system. So it's the same frequency if you went for a strenuous jog or did a workout, you're getting that flow of energy through the heart space. And so they learn if you would sit with that and really harness that and ask for guidance from the heart and from the spirit of the plant because it has such deep roots, especially through the Amazonian regions, which is where it's native to. Um, they just learned a lot in that process. And, you know, through the Spanish conquest, people from Spain came over. Um, cacao was obviously very well celebrated because they were having these really interesting kind of activating experience with it. So they understood its power and potency and use it on trade routes. And it was also exotic because people in Spain had never seen cacao before. So there was a lot of excitement around it and it started being brought back to Europe. And then of course the European palate with lots of sweets and dairy and sugar, it really changed form um, in its initial preparations. And that was kind of more of the traditional chocolate that you might see milk chocolate specifically was super popular in Europe, especially in the mountainous regions where they had tons of dairy cattle. And then as it came kind of back to the Americas, it was still being prepared more as like a confection or in pastries and desserts and things like that, following more of kind of the French culinary tradition. And it's only been relatively recently. I mean, of course, if you look into more um, communities throughout Central and South America that have deeper roots to more of the ancient traditions, there's certainly been uh, drinking cacao, more ceremonial oriented service, but it's kind of been a recent resurgence of more of that traditional, less sweet, more conversation around purity uh, that, that's come back up. And I think it's super interesting because there's a lot of plant medicines that are coming back up and being utilized and shared. And I absolutely consider cacao plant medicine. I joke that it's like a gateway in a way, right? It's so accessible and yet it's really powerful. And people can have these very activating connective experiences with it, especially when it's prepared and, and enjoyed with, with love and intention. Um, so yeah, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating history and a fascinating, it's gone a long journey to be, you know, once again, really, I mean, 
different, there's different preparations. And in some of the original preparations, there's also stories around how it was mixed with corn or other uh, locally grown kind of native to those regions uh, crops, but, but bitter water, you know, grinding the whole bean just straight up with, with some water. That was, that was the first use that we know of at least. So traditionally it was the cacao bean ground up with like a mortar and pestle and then, you know, water or warm water added to it and then properly drunk in a ceremony with intention and then meditation to follow. As far, as far as we know. Yeah. And maybe meditation. I mean, there's so many ways, you know, you think about modern, modern approaches to offering a cacao ceremony and just for context for me personally, I describe ceremony as any experience with intention, right? We can create, I can create ceremony drinking this cup of water. If I infuse it with the notion of really wanting to tune in and understand the, mo- the molecular structure of the water, what's happening, how that's moving through my body, right? So we can create ceremony in any form. And I think it's important to know that there's such a broad way now of that cacao ceremonies are being presented and some of them really aim to tune into more of the, the ancient indigenous traditions. And some of them are more of a modern take that's more of a yoga nidra or guided meditation. And in my opinion, I think there's, there's space for all of it. And it's also important to just be clear about what type of ceremony is this? Is this a traditional Mayans cacao ceremony? Is this a modern cacao ceremony? What, what are we doing here? You know, but, but at its core, there is certainly a paying homage to cacao's lineage and history in the opportunity to drink it as a whole being um, more, more on the bitter side beverage and to really tune into the wisdom of the plant that still resides in those seeds that are carrying their DNA from over 5,000 years. It's pretty amazing. That is actually really amazing. And that you can source the bean that you want for essentially the energy that you want. So you, you seem like very, you seem, and what I've read on your website is like, you're very focused on the areas that you source your cacao from. Mm-hmm. And obviously cacao from Peru versus Ecuador and, and what is in that land and how rich that soil is or the activities that have happened around there. I'm sure are going to translate to a different heart opening experience when you drink the cacao. It's I'm getting chills as you mentioned that it's so fascinating. I mean, the, the flavor profiles first and foremost, right. And even the, the fat content. So I know with, with food that fat carries flavor, right. And cocoa beans are really impressively rich in fat. And it's so awesome. This is why it's a superfood because cocoa beans, cacao beans are also rich with antioxidants, nutrients, and most of those nutrients are fat soluble. So it's this very intelligent seed that says, ah, here's all these incredible nutritional compounds. Let me pair them naturally with the perfect amount of fat to make it incredibly easy for the body to access those nutrients and those benefits. So yeah, depending on the region, like all crops really, right? You think about terroir with grapes or wine growing or whatever it might be, winemaking, um, depending on the soil health, depending on the region, depending on the salt content, there's so many layers of flavor that also connect to energetics. And because cacao is so strong in its flavor profile, but also energetic expression, I do feel that it's a whole different level if you spend, but truthfully, and I've been reading a lot recently about like working with plants more in like a spiritual or energetic perspective, just because I find it fascinating and all plants have stories, have lineage, right? There's their roots are so deep in the soil. They're literally carrying the messages from all life that has come before as they absorb those nutrients up through their roots, right? So it's not that cacao is unique. I mean, you could sit really with any plant and 
eat it or drink it, prepare it as a tea or whatever. And in a lot of like the wise women traditions and herbal studies, this is how they connect with the plants. They'll prepare a topical thing. They'll drink it. They'll, they'll sit with the leaf and just listen. They'll sit with the tree. Right. And so cacao just happens to be extra potent in its, uh, it kind of like, it's so bold. It's so strong. You can have that connection straight away, but the world of plants is so rich in wisdom. If we just take the time to tune into it, but cacao is also sexy. It's like rich and creamy and decadent. And it reminds us of maybe our childhood and like drinking hot chocolate or having cake with a celebration aspect. So because it's so stitched in our own modern traditions, but also has this really long and deep history, and there's a mystery about it because it really only grows, it, ideally it grows 10 degrees north and south of the equator. So it has a small growing region. So it's exotic in that way. There's a lot of intrigue around cacao. And yeah, we source in South America, so Ecuador and Peru, and each cacao that we utilize has a very distinctively different flavor profile. And that's an expression of the land and likely the history there. Hi, I'm Chef Whitney Aronoff. As a personal chef, I created custom organic spices for my clients. These blends are of the highest quality with no added sugar, MSG, caking agents, or any junk. I want you to have the same access to good quality seasonings, which is why I've launched my line of organic spice blends. High Vibration Foods by Starseed Kitchen is my collection of chef-crafted organic spice blends made with only good-for-you ingredients. I use organic source spices, ancient mineral-rich Redmond Real Salt, prepare the blends listening to Kundalini mantra music, then charge the jars with the quartz Giza crystals for a true high vibration experience. You can now purchase my most requested blend, 11 Magic Herbs and Spices, on starseedkitchen.com. Use code STARSEED for 10% off your purchase. Can't wait for you to enjoy. How did you go about finding your source for cacao? Because that seems like a pretty overwhelming task. It definitely was at first. You know, it's interesting, especially as a startup company, we were small and our production was small, but I always was interested in quality and integrity and sourcing ethos and talking to some of the big, you know, you go to trade shows like Expo West to try to understand, like, mm -hmm. how do we plug into some of these larger distribution companies? And they're like, yeah, we have these amazing cacao beans. And the order minimum is a pallet. And I'm like, that will take us six years to get, like, we were just so small at that point. So she found a company here in San Diego called Mercy's Sweets that does direct trade sourcing from Peru. And we were able to work with Marcy, who had spent a lot of time on the ground in Peru, um, to, to initially source for some of my, the, the chocolate truffle products, which were the first product that I developed. And then over time, there's actually an amazing uh, industry association called the Fine Chocolate Industry Association. And they have they had a conference pre-COVID um, every year. And that is such an incredible connection point because it's all craft chocolate is all about intentionally, transparently sourced cocoa and cacao. And it brings together growers, uh, distributors, chocolatiers, like the entire industry comes together. And so it was actually at that conference in, I think it was in 2020, where the, the door opened even more broadly for sourcing conversations. And I met a dear friend, he's now a friend. Um, actually, it was crazy. I ran into a woman that I had gone to college with who was partnering with 
a bunch of cacao farmers in Ecuador. And I saw her at the conference and I was like, oh my gosh, how are you? Why are you, why are you here? And she was like, oh, I just bought a cacao farm in Ecuador. This is my world now. And so we started to talk and that really opened up doors, which is what has then led to the direct sourcing in Ecuador, which has been amazing and always interested to grow. And it's kind of like bit by bit, region by region, because the transparency and capacity to develop those relationships is so important. So we're, as we scale, I'm continuing to look to bring on more sources and just more variety and more flavor expressions because they all taste different too. Can you walk us through what it's like from the, how the cacao is transported to you? Like what version is it in? And Mm. then how do you process it into your chakra truffles? Great question. Yeah. So we receive it in paste form. So I wish I had like replicas of all this, but I can describe it. So um, the cacao, when it grows on the tree, it's in a pod. It's about that big, roughly. Um, And they're so funny. Like you have the tree branch and the pods are just like shooting off like this, all different angles. And they're different colors, depending on the variety. In Ecuador, one of the varieties is called Nacional. And it's this bright, bold, like sunny yellow color. And there's also red and green pods. They're beautiful. Um, and inside the pot, if you cut it in half, there's like a pretty thick husk. It's pretty fibrous. And then inside that is a cylinder about this big um, of the fruit, which is this white kind of sticky, pulpy fruit uh, that tastes a bit like lemonade. And it's, it is sticky. Like if you suck on it, it almost has like a, a almost juicy quality to it. And then inside that are the individual cocoa or cacao beans which if you've ever had cacao nibs, I'm sure most people have, the, the little like chunks are what's inside each of those beans. So the bean is covered by a papery husk. And then inside of that are maybe per seed, I would guess like 20 to 50 nibs all, all pressed together. Um, like a tablespoon or two? I mean like, yeah, more like a, I would say more like a teaspoon actually. They're not oh. huge. Wow. The, so seeds, the seeds, they almost look like little almonds, like a, like a slightly bigger than an almond. They're not super yeah. big. Um, And so when they're first harvested, they're first of all, very volatile, meaning because they have so much uh, fruity, like sugar to them, sugar content, if they're not processed relatively quickly, they'll start to rot. So what most of the farmers do is on the farm, either as they're harvesting or like the pods or immediately after one of the farms that we partner from is, is doing a regenerative process. So they actually husk their cacao fruit right in the fields and then put the sticky fruit in buckets that they then carry off the field and then immediately goes into a batch fermentation process. And that's how the cacao beans are cured. Um, It's the first step in flavor development. And essentially what happens is they get dumped into big, usually in in more of like the human environments, big wooden boxes. And then over the course of three to seven days, depending on the temperature and moisture, uh, the, the cacao beans start to develop different flavor profiles. Most of the sugar either absorbs into the bean or runs off with the liquid that's left behind. Um, and then they're dried in the sun. So that's the first step in the preservation of the cacao beans, um, which is actually quite nuanced and complex. I was down in Ecuador in April meeting with one of our farms and I loved 
chatting with their, it was like their head fermentation guy. Cause he knew looking at the size of the bean and the type of fruit, exactly the sugar content without, they're not using, and it's like, it's a very small, humble farm, but they're doing incredible work with the most delicious cacao. And he could just look at it and be like, oh, this one needs to ferment for this long. And this one needs to ferment for this long. You can't mix them together because they ferment. It was, it was great. So he, he knows his stuff and the fermentation process, if it's over fermented, you're going to get bad flavors, which a lot of cacao, if it's not ultra clean or high quality ends up, you can burn those off in the roasting process, but you essentially have to actually burn the beans, which you lose a lot of the nutrient density and you lose the nuance in the flavor. So you want someone that really understands their beans managing the fermentation. And then once the fermentation happens and it is dried in the sun, then the beans can either be shipped at that point, which a lot of bean to bar chocolate makers receive raw beans. We are not that. We actually like having our farms or their partners produce the beans or process the beans actually in Ecuador because it keeps more income in their communities. So from there, once they're dried, they go to a roasting and processing facility. And the roast is definitely beneficial because it burns off just any like excess, but you want to also keep it at a temperature where they're not, they're actually not burning, right? Because it's a, the, the quality of the fat, as well as the flavor, you want the nuance in that, right? And overcooked beans, most people overcook cacao beans if they're trying to mask bad flavors or bad quality, truthfully. So a lot of like the big chocolate makers that have, or if they want absolutely no nuance. So if you think about like Hershey's as an example, if you eat a Hershey's bar, it pretty much tastes the same. Whatever, like whatever Hershey bar you eat, like I, I can't, this would be a fun experiment to like buy a Hershey's bar somewhere and then to get one from like a wildly different place and see if they taste the same. But my recollection at least is that they pretty much all taste exactly the same. And the reason they're, the reason they're able to accomplish that is because they over roast their beans to burn off any of the nuanced flavor, which when, when we make chocolate, I love the nuance and flavor. Like if you eat a cacao truffle that's made with our Peruvian cacao versus our Ecuadorian cacao, all of the other ingredients the same, it's a completely different experience. It's in, it's like wild. Like how it's, how is it almost chocolate? You know, it's crazy. Um, so then once the beans are roasted, they're, they're, the husks are removed, the papery husks are removed. They can be used actually to make tea. You can do like an infusion with them. Those are really high nutrients as well. Um, and then they get ground in a machine called a melanger, which essentially is either done with stones or blades that spin and it melts the fats uh, slowly over time and produces what's called, it's either called cacao liquor or cacao paste. They're, they're the same product, two names for the same thing. The reason it's called liquor is because it's a fermented food. So technically it's not alcoholic, but it produces like an off gas. Like if you were fermenting a beer or whatever, um, again, there's no, there's no residual alcohol content, but it's still considered a liquor. Um, and then paste same, same difference. Um, so it's essentially just grinding the nibs into what come to us as bricks, which are about this size. And it's just whole bean cacao. So one thing that is interesting is some producers add cocoa butter to change the flavor texture of the cacao paste that they're producing, um, which we don't source. We only source 100% whole bean cacao paste. So you're getting single perspective on the landscape. One of our one of our origins comes from a collective of farmers. So there are kind of in certain regions in Ecuador and South America, there's kind of a pool of resources. So you might have a few smaller cacao farmers that 
put all of their beans together either to ferment all in the same location or sometimes to roast and grind all in the same location. So you might have some variance, but it's still regionally sound. And we look to source paste that hasn't had any additives in it. Um, no more extra cocoa butter. So you get that really excellent and exact flavor profile from where the beans are being grown. So I've seen those bricks before and, you know, it, it almost looks like, you know, just a solid piece of a solid piece of chocolate. Um, yep. How, how do you, what do you do with it? How do you break it down into a usable form? So for our chocolate truffle products, we essentially will take a knife and break it into somewhat smaller chunks. And then we have another grinding process that we do as we add our other additions. So at Maya Moon, all of our cacao truffles are dairy-free. So traditional chocolate truffles are made with butter and cream, but we use coconut butter and coconut milk or fresh fruit purees, depending on the flavor instead of that. And then we add a locally sourced raw honey as our sweetener in there. So those things all get added together and through grinding and heat, it essentially creates an emulsification. So all of the fats get combined in suspension and make this ultra rich, creamy fudge like texture. And then it's, that's a ganache. And so we use that ganache and then we roll them with gloves, but by hand into beautiful balls and then coat them with all sorts of different flavors, different herbs. A lot of the chocolate truffles that we make, we do herbal infusions with. So if we, with the coconut milk, we'll warm it up and then add um, organic dry leaf herbs in it, just like if you're making an herbal tea or tisane. Um, and then that gets added into the chocolate or the ganache that we make for the truffles. And so there's so many, it's so much fun. Uh, one of our team members, she's been with Maya Moon since we launched and she's a trained herbalist. So in our oh. early days, she and I spent so many hours in our production facility experimenting with different herbs and playing with ratios and also looking at formulation because one of the goals with products that we create is that they have enough concentration of the herbs to actually offer a nutritional benefit. So they're not intended as supplements, but if you were looking to have the opportunity to take one of those herbs, just like if you made a strong cup of tea, uh, you can get the full potency of the herb in the way that we create our chocolate truffle products, which I think is really fun. It, it reminds me of like a more of a nutrient dense and decadent take on gummy vitamins. <laughs> no, I love that too, because now when I choose to eat chocolate or if I wanna give a gift of chocolate to somebody, I can give one to them that they'll enjoy the taste and take pleasure in the dessert, but also is benefiting their body. Yep. And we've had some false starts. You know, there were certain herbs that just didn't play well with the chocolate. And I'd love, if I had more time, I would have loved to tune into the energetics of that. Cause sometimes I wonder, I'm like, oh, are you guys just like not in sync energetically? Cause then there's also some herbs that it's just wild delicious. Like we had, we did a Damiana and Rose infusion on some of the cacao truffles and the, the way that it feels in the body, but also the flavor was just ethereal and sweet and nuanced and, and lovely. It was like this like invitation. You could just sense that. And I was like, oh, these, these really like to play together. So it's really fun. That side of the, I mean, I am not really in the kitchen very much anymore. We have a full production team now and an executive pastry chef that are really spearheading that part of the business, but I do miss some of those really sweet moments in the formulation side where, where there's just clear synergy happening. 
What's that herb that you said you pair with the rose? It starts with a D. Oh, it's called Damiana. Um, D-A-M-I-A-N-A. It's considered an aphrodisiac. It's the leaf of a plant and it's super beautiful. And it has this definitely energizing for the womb space and really nourishing, but it also has this ethereal quality. It almost feels like if you could open up the womb or, or, or activate, activate the womb, like the wisdom of that really like playful, creative energy, but then pull it all the way up and like plug it straight into the cosmic realm simultaneously. And you're like, wow, this is speaking to me. That's how I feel when I have Damiana. And it's cool with the cacao because cacao is so heart connective. So you're kind of, you have like this really cool thread of energy moving all the way from the belly up out the head, but then coming into the heart and almost pulsating that it's, it's really fun. Yeah. And then combining it with Rose and Rose, I feel like hits so many elements. It hits your heart. It hits your face. It hits your skin. It's kind of, I feel like, I feel like Rose encompasses the whole body. I agree. Um, And it's just, it's sweet. It's, it's romantic. It's ethereal. You know, if you think about even just the aromatics of it, that, that particular chocolate, we actually dust in powder rose petals. So we, we have the dried petals and we, we grind them to the point of literally being a dust. So if you pick up the chocolate and smell it, your first invitation is that sweet rose scent. And then you get to take this really beautiful journey of it as you enjoy it. Is that a truffle option in the chakra truffles or do people have to? No. So we have seasonal flavors. That's a seasonal flavor. So stay tuned. They rotate out just like, just like our uh, menu at the cafe at my moon collective. It's all seasonally oriented. So like we talked about early on, it's still a celebration of our local farmers and what's fresh and vibrant, um, you know, and relevant because nature is so wise. If, If it's making something for the season, it's because it's supportive for our bodies at that time. So we really try to to match that with the products we make and the the truffle flavors that are available throughout the year. But the shocker box, so the shocker box was our first product, and that concept came through to me directly in meditation. I was actually meditating on, and I was, you know, I was kind of on a yogic path at the time, really interested in energy attunement practices. And I was meditating actually on a chocolate experience to take to Burning Man. Burning Man has been a long time joy of mine to attend. And I love bringing sensory activating delicious offerings there. And so through that meditation, the idea for the chakra chocolates came to me and I got all this intel. It was a very, it was one of those meditations where I was like, whoa, I'm like taking notes. This is happening. I got all this intel on specific flavors for each of the energy centers. And so I wrote them down. I wrote down different herbs and things. And then I started doing research around like, I'm like, okay, that's cool. Let me like check in on this. And they were all very exact. It was like, oh, wow. All right. That's sweet. So started to play with formulation and the R&D for the actual, the original ganache recipe that we now use as the base for a lot of our truffles took about a year in R&D to finesse it and to figure out the exact ratios of, and even like the the brand of honey or where we were sourcing that from, because wanting to have a neutral, but synergistic flavor profile, because even raw honey, I mean, there can be such a wide range of notes in that. So, and the texture and the capacity for them to have a, a good shelf life without using any preservatives. We don't use any fillers. There's no emulsifiers. Thankfully, honey is a natural preservative, but it took quite a bit of testing and sitting in focus groups. People in the community both loved and hated me because I was always like serving them chocolate things to be like, give me your feedback on this. Give me your feedback on this. So 
Yeah, it was about a year in formulation for the ganache and then all of the different flavors came after that. But the chakra box was was the first take and that that came through that uh, the meditation and kind of the idea around that and then played with the flavors until we got a, a box that was really fun and then recorded meditations to go along with it through a really fun collaboration with a local artist who did all of the art on the box. It's a beautiful box. It's a great gift and We actually sat and ate together each flavor and really tuned into the energetics. And then she drew the lines on each of the different uh, images that represent the chakras kind of as an expression of how the chocolate was speaking to her, which was really fun. And then there was a music producer who laid all the tracks underneath the, the verbal cues in the meditations. And he layered spiral beats and each one attuned to the specific chakra. So it's such a fun sensory activation. If people take the time to go on that deep dive and eat the chocolate while listening to the track, there's just so many things happening all at once. It's, it's what quite an a nice food product. That's like, that's incredible and really impressive. It was definitely fun to develop. I mean, at the end of the day, everything that Maya Moon does is centered around sustainable sourcing, health, and connecting community. So it was it was a great initial step into that. And I also, I just like doing things a little bit differently. That's kind of part of my DNA. So it was exciting to create a product that didn't exist in the market to see if we could play with that nexus around spirituality and kind of ancient traditions, but in more of a modern take, but also make it delicious and sound and just a, just a good product, you know? Absolutely. Really impressive. And you guys now offer ceremonial cacao that people can buy and enjoy at home. We do. Yeah. So over time, we were seeing that with the the box truffle products, especially the chakra set, people love them. And I would hear stories from customers where they were like, oh my gosh, I bought a chakra. They keep for six months in the fridge. They do have a long shelf life. But they were like, oh my gosh, I bought a chakra box three months ago and it's just been sitting on my fridge because it's so special that I'm saving it for a special occasion. And I was like, oh, that's so lovely. But also like, I would love for you to treat yourself. That's part of like the value and the joy in it. And cacao as part of a more regular ritual has a lot of benefits in supporting heart health and also supporting just open-hearted living, which I believe is, is a pathway towards a better world, right? The more that we can live and lead from a place of love, the better we are. And cacao is such a beautiful ally and opening up more of that connectivity. So starting to realize that most of the, the cacao truffles were being gifted or kind of hoarded in a way people wanted to really hold tight to them, which is sweet, but I'm like, all right, we gotta, let's figure out a way to make more of a daily driver for people uh, that still connects to those core ethos and quality sourcing, but that feels like more of a, of a daily ritual or a regular ritual. And so that was where the concept for the drinking cacao mixes came from, which is not a new concept. There's plenty of companies that exist out there that are making drinking cacao blends. Um, our key differentiators are that we use whole bean cacao. So there's many brands that offer um, cacao powder in their products, which cacao product powder is made as an extraction process. So mm-hmm. what, as I was talking about how you process cacao, when it goes through that melanging process to grind it into the paste, they can actually press it and push out all of the fat, which is the cocoa butter. So if you ever use a product with cocoa butter in it, or if you've had white chocolate, that's cocoa butter. It's just the fat from the cocoa bean extracted and then what's left behind is is cacao powder which is just the 
the dark brown solids from um, the cacao bean without the fat. And so a lot of brands are using cacao powder in their products, which certainly great. It sells a lot of antioxidants and other nutritional benefits. And like we talked about before, cacao, most of those nutrients are fat soluble. So unless people know to add some sort of fat back in, in their preparation, which many of them are made with milk, but I am very passionate. You asked about ceremonial cacao. So two ways that we define ceremonial cacao. One is that every step in its production from growing to processing to packaging, that there's intention involved in that. There's awareness of what's happening in the broader ecosystem and what is the impact on the plants, the animals, the people, and the, the supply chain as we're making decisions. So that's one aspect of being ceremonial. And the second aspect of being ceremonial is that it's unadulterated. It is a truly natural food. So um, when, when you buy Maya Moon's ceremonial grade cacao products, you're getting whole bean cacao that is minimally processed. There's no additives. We're not adding anything outside of real whole foods. Um, sometimes we add herbs. We have some functional blends, but the cacao itself, nothing's, it's not been modified from its original form. So you're getting that, that whole food approach. Um, yeah. And then what's also unique about Maya Moon is that all of, so we offer just straight up ceremonial grade cacao. It's hundred percent pure, which for the purists, some people love it. A lot of people will use it if they're offering their own meditations or rituals or ceremonies, you know, people that are plugged into those circles. It's a great source for them for that. A lot of people also just use it as part of their daily rituals. Some people mix it with their coffee or into their smoothies. It's great for that. And then we also have a line of functional drinking cacao blends that incorporate different um, organic herbs and a little bit of organic maple sugar that make it more like this excellent beverage that can be enjoyed as often as you like. It's low glycemic, even though it's a little bit sweet. So we're, we're, we've strayed a little bit from the bitter water, but we're happy that we're not using any processed sweeteners. There's no stabilizers again. Yeah. So we, we don't use any processed sugars. Um, we never use any stabilizers. It's just whole bean cacao plus a tiny bit of organic maple sugar, which is literally just dehydrated maple syrup from a really cool family farm in Vermont and then herbs, just powdered herbs. And that's it. Fantastic. And then people can try having ceremony of cacao at home and their own way at their own time, and then try meditating afterwards, which is an amazing concept that I feel like is just being more talked about and experienced by people. And I just find it fascinating. Yeah, it's great. I mean, like we were saying before, even just having your cacao and holding your mug and taking a few deep breaths and listening. Every time I drink cacao, whether it's for at home for myself for insights or offering it in a community circle or experience, you know, really we're creating an opportunity for the plant and, and its wisdom to speak to us. And if we can tune in, there's a lot to learn and about you think about the way that our bodies are an extension of nature and we are all the elements embodied as is the cacao plant. I mean, they're all interwoven, right? So there's so much opportunity to learn and to, to experience insights or just deepening self-awareness and global awareness through that process. And so that's what I always see as the invitation is take that sip, hold that mug and listen and see what the plant and connection with our bodies has to share with us. And there's a lot of magic that comes from that. And you have events at your space in San Diego, mm -hmm. which I've gone on your website and the list of events are really impressive and a lot of fun. It makes me wish that I was, I was closer to you guys. Um, 
you have cacao ceremonies at your store. Are there different varieties of cacao ceremonies that you guys do? We, so there's such a wide range and for most of the experiences we offer. So the way that the space set up is by day, it's, it's a cafe. We have regular service. Most of our products center around cacao or complimentary food and drink options. Um, yeah, but then in the evenings and in the mornings before and after hours is when we offer our events. And yeah, we do cacao ceremonies. We do cacao activations. We have yoga where people will have cacao and then practice yoga, which is a really nice way to get in the mind and the body. And every facilitator kind of has a different approach. So we're really passionate about inviting teachers and guides from the community that have different backgrounds. So the options range from, would you a monthly meetup for women entrepreneurs? And we always drink cacao first. And it's, it's so fun. It's essentially like a business networking opportunity, but instead of this kind of speed oriented approach of gathering, you know, business cards or connections, we really go deep. And I feel that the cacao is such a beautiful facilitator for that. So that's an example. We absolutely offer like more of like circle type meditation experiences that would be more what I would consider a modern take on a cacao ceremony where we're really sitting and connecting with the plan and connecting with each other in the circle. We also have sound bath experiences. It's really the full spectrum. So any number of ways for people to have that sacred pause and connect with each other and themselves uh, in, in a really beautiful space is the goal. You are a wealth of wisdom on chocolate. It's so impressive and you, you communicate it really well. Um, if people want to learn more about chocolate and just the health benefits of it or the history of it is, are there any books that you recommend people turn to or, um, documentaries or any places that you recommend people can just keep learning? One of my favorite resources is called the chocolate alchemist. He mm -hmm. has an incredible blog and so much in-depth free content around the full spectrum of the industry, how to make chocolate products, where to source chocolate products. You can even buy whole cacao paste from chocolate alchemist and, and practice with that if you want to experiment. So that's a great resource. Um, I would also look to the Fine Chocolate Industry Association website, fcia.org. That is kind of the all-encompassing connection point around um, the whole world of craft chocolate, which, as I mentioned, is quality and sourcing connected to sustainability. And there's just looking on that website and looking who is part of that, there's a whole bunch of different change leaders in the world of cacao focusing on community connections, collaborations on the farm, bridging gaps, even like funding for farmers. Like it's just, it's really cool. So there's, there's also a wealth of resources there. And then lastly, uh, Dr. Bronner's is doing a really awesome regenerative cacao product uh, that's relatively new. But if you look up Dr. Bronner's chocolate, They've just done a really good job about sharing the rationale and the impact behind why they're doing what they're doing. And they've essentially vertically integrated it and are intercropping cacao trees with some of their coconut palms and general palms. They use palm oil and coconut oil in a lot of their products. And it creates this high canopy and the cacao trees underneath get to play together. So they have, it's literally like, um, I forget the word for it. But it's a secondary product. They never intended to make chocolate. They really just wanted to test the model about if it was possible to have a more healthy ecosystem with intercropping and cacao as part of that. And the answer is that 
it is and they can. Um, so they have a lot of information about regenerative chocolate and why it's relevant and how these things can play together. And it's, it's, there's some good content that can be read in that realm too. Thank you. Those are some great sources. Thank you. So where can people learn more about you and Maya Moon? Um, well, if they're in San Diego, come to Maya Moon Collective up in Normal Heights. It's a great place to gather. If you ever make a trip out, we'd love to see you live and in person in the space. And anywhere else in the U.S., um, our website, mayamoon.co, um, you can order all of our cacao products. Those meditations that I mentioned for the chakra box are available free under the meditation tab. So even if you don't have a chakra truffle in front of you, it's a great way to kind of, you know, you can grab any piece of chocolate and pick a chakra that you or energy center that you want to activate and have that experience. That's a lot of fun. And we ship nationwide so people can access our cacao truffles and our drinking cacao mixes right off the website. Amazing. Well, is there, as we're wrapping up, is there maybe one little healthy tip that you can leave the listener with today that they can consider adding into their life? I feel like so many of us are chocolate lovers. And as we dive deeper into the world of chocolate and cacao, you know, I believe first and foremost that we get to vote with our dollars. So as people are looking for chocolate products to purchase in store, the easiest thing is to look for organic and fair trade certification. That's a great um, initial point to really say like they're believing in healthier ecosystems and better wages for the farmers involved in the production of the product, you know, and as you tune into that, maybe even just pick one of those bars and you can melt it into a drink or look for any sort of drinking chocolate product and take that time to meditate and just see what happens. It's really profound. Um, if you've never meditated with chocolate, worst case scenario, you'll have a delicious drink and maybe a couple deep breaths to ground and best case is you might get some really incredible insights. So, and then the last piece is if you've never spent time connecting to the world of plants in general, even just taking a walk outside and choosing a tree or a flower and just giving it that time to connect and ask the flower or tree what insight it might have for you and see what happens. I think it's about staying curious and finding ways and places where we can connect with the broader natural world in our everyday life and become loving stewards of the earth through those practices. That That's a great tip, especially as we're going to be moving into uh, early autumn. And it's going to be more comfortable for people to get outside and experience, you know, nature in a, in a calming, comfortable way, instead of, you know, intense heat, you can really go out and enjoy the outdoors and be comfortable and take a time to sit with whatever plants you want or in any place you want. And eat seasonally, you know, just find out who's growing food in your backyard or neighborhood or in your community and talk to them and source from them because that's where you'll also get to plug into your local ecosystem. And there's a lot to learn through that simple practice. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time today. You really blew my mind on cacao. Um, and I'm really excited to kind of experience it in a new way and try it in new ways. Um, thank you just so much for your time. Thank you. It was an honor chatting with you. I appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, thank you so much for the listeners and tuning into our conversation today. And if this podcast episode supported you, please share it with family and friends and pass it along. And thank you for being a part of the Starseed Kitchen community. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing you when I stop into your shop in San Diego. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Starseed Kitchen podcast. 
For more Starseed Kitchen, visit our website at starseedkitchen.com and follow us on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Be sure to pick up a jar of my High Vibration Foods Organic Spices, which you can purchase on starseedkitchen.com. And you can find me and follow along on my cooking adventures on all your favorite social media channels at Whitney Aronoff.